Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today we're doing a follow-up podcast. A few weeks ago, Scott Selhorst and I did a, uh, an interview where we talked about personas, and that was something that came out of a class I was teaching. Scott needed to finally put the nail in the certification peg for SPO, so he basically taught me during the class for two days. And we talked about personas and proto-personas, and we talked about empathy maps. And empathy maps is one of the topics we wanted to come back and spend a little more time on. So, Scott, thank you for taking time out of your Friday. Dave, my pleasure. Uh, I always love talking about this stuff. I, I, I do, too, and I especially appreciate you taking time to school me up. So before we get into this, can you give a little bit of your background so folks know who you are? Um, sure. So so I'm, uh, an, I guess, technically an, an executive vice president, an EVP, SVP. I don't even know what my title is. It's uh, SVP Executive SVP. Consultant, according to the there website. We go. That's, I, I believe it. We're really um, into titles at Leading Agile. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if you it's it's a title that matches the kinds of problems I help solve. So so okay. I'm okay with it. Um, so as, as part of the Leading Agile team, I'm helping companies on the business and product management side of enterprise transformation. And um, as a craftsman, I've, I've been doing product management and strategy consulting work for. Uh, Oh goodness! About 15 years, okay. and uh, was a software developer before that, and a mechanical design engineer before that. So that's that's sort of my background. But it's it's always been designing. Started out designing things to help solve problems, and then it sort of moved into helping companies figure out which problems were important to solve. And then the combination of being good at solving problems with making good choices about which problems to solve then becomes useful as part of enterprise transformation because like when you move from a waterfall to an agile world, um, you change parts of how you prioritize that stuff in addition to just changing the cadence, right? The interactions and the business dynamics shift. Sure. So that's sort of where I, where I apply my craft these days. Okay. Um, thank you. And so I'll try to set a little context and you correct me if I get any of this wrong. So when we did the last interview, we talked about um, personas, and we talked about kind of going through this three-step process, which you may or may not do all three steps, but the first step being proto-persona, which is more often than not totally assumption-based guesses about who is this potential user of the thing we're building. Then with empathy maps, which is what we're going to focus on today, you're understanding them better. And if you get to the actual persona, the way that you would normally do it, that's that's driven by research and actual data, correct? Right. Okay. So we're going to be focusing on the middle section. How would you define empathy for somebody? I mean, a lot of people have a vague understanding of it, but but how would you define it in the context of what we're going to be talking about today? Um, sure. So I, I think of it as there's sort of three concepts. Uh, there's sympathy, empathy, and cognitive empathy. Okay. Uh, sympathy is, is right when you sort of you, you feel someone's pain. Okay. You know, it's, I feel your pain, right? right? That's that's that sort of lands in the sympathy bucket for me, and that's not what this is, and so I don't really spend time classifying it effectively. Okay. Um, empathy and cognitive empathy are around understanding the problems that somebody has and that someone's trying to solve. Okay. Uh, cognitive empathy, in specific, is really getting into their motivation, and uh, empathy more broadly is around understanding the combination of their motivation with sort of the context or environment that they're in. Okay. So I want to go back two steps and see if I'm, if I can give an example and if I have this straight in my head. So when I was in college, I did work in supermarkets where I would go in and do price checks and things like that. And it was one of the things that was very helpful to me when I did some work with Walmart, because I understand what it's like to work in a supermarket. I've spent enough time in there. I have a lot of empathy for the people that have to go clean up the jelly in aisle five because I did that when I was in high school. Is that okay? So that's how you would define the empathy that's before the cognitive empathy, correct? Uh, yeah, right. Understanding what the dynamics of having to deal with that are. Um, having pity for someone because that's what they have to do lands more in the sympathy bucket. So that's that's probably a good way no, to make I, but I'm thinking like I know I've had that experience. I know what it's like when you've got those shifts or somebody who's working at UPS and has to load a truck in the middle of summer. I know what that's like because I've done that job. But 
the cognitive part would be why does the person have to do that job or why do they want to do that job, right? Right, right. Um, you know, and and I and I might name drop some great resources for the listeners here. Uh, sure. Indy, Indy Young has written a book called Mental Models, which is almost exclusively focused on cognitive empathy. Okay. And it's a super powerful advanced technique for – Framing problems. It's it's like the next level of science beyond journey mapping, if you wanted to think of it that way. Okay. So so journey mapping is something people should also be looking into since we're <laughs> tossing that one out there. Yeah. <laughs> Shiny coin we'll on the, the table. West. Yeah. So all right, everyone just pretend you know what we're talking about. Um, so we're gonna talk about the empathy map and um we're gonna be using the more recent version that was created, and it's David Gray, right? Yeah. Okay. I'll make sure to include a link to the to the file and to his posting on it. Um, what are empathy maps, and who creates them? Uh, sure. So, an an empathy map is it's a canvas, which is a little bit of a shiny object, but only because it's been proven to be an effective tool to use to use canvases to where you sort of pull together uh, a lot of deep context into an easy in easy to consume like single page view of part of the world. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a model. It's a representation of what it's like to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. That's basically what you're what you're capturing within an empathy empathy map. And is it still assumption driven, or are you actually interviewing at this point? Uh, it's yeah, it's it's interview driven, but it's sort of narrow in context. Okay. So, like a real persona, it's based on research, but it's a focused. A uh, subset of comprehensive research required to build a persona. Okay, so this is the step that helps us move from the more the proto persona, the totally assumption driven version, to something that's actually more realistically data focused. I guess. Right, right. Okay. Um, you know, in a good way, to, like a good way to think about it, there's there's sort of two schools of thought about what it means to be market driven and how you go about and gain that all of those insights. Um, one one approach is you could you could classify it as just in case, which is go learn everything that is learnable because it might be useful later. Okay. Right. And you can think of that as big upfront design type research projects, a heavy classic uh, research driven okay. project. And the other approach is just in time, which is to say. For what I'm doing right now, I need to understand more. So let me go do just enough research. It's right. It's the last responsible moment of the sort of agile principles applied to user experience research. Okay. And okay. an empathy map canvas allows you to say, what do I need to understand right now for the context of the problems I'm trying to solve, for the product I've got right now, for a subset of all of the people in the world who I might build it for yeah. or sell it to? Right, okay. so it really lets you zoom into uh, one group of customers when they're trying to solve a specific problem or a group of problems. How do I understand? How do I empathize with them so that my approach to helping them solve their problems is more likely to be successful? So it's not so much us understanding their problem as it is us understanding their understanding of their problem. Yeah, right. We're we're understanding their environment and their understanding. Like that's the the canvas has this neat sort of visual layout that there's uh, a half, two, four, six. There's there's a half a dozen fields of information that sort of rotate clockwise around a head in the yeah. center that are descriptions of measurable things about the environment that you could go observe and, through interviewing or uh, monitoring. Okay. So and if, then there's oh, a sec, there's a section in the center inside the big head, which is here is how here is what we assume or project that person is concluding or thinking or feeling, given their environment. Okay. Um, so if I roll this out in a CSPO class, the first two questions that are going to come up are. Whose job is it to create it, and how do you decide? How do you decide which customers to create them for? Okay, great. Um, okay, so the first answer: when you've got a design team or user experience team or user research people, those are the people who do this. Okay. Uh, and they all know, they'll they'll know what it is. 
they they know how to do this stuff and they'll okay. they'll know the empathy map and if they don't they already know how to do a full blown persona okay. which is broader in context and sort of a superset of information okay. and they could quickly they could quickly grok this canvas and apply the the user research approach that they would take okay. to populating the forms in this canvas all right before uh, we move we, on i just want to interrupt yeah. and say props for being the first person to use the word grok in a leading agile podcast Oh, outstanding! Well, yeah, <laughs> get, I mean, major right, geek I, points on that one. <laughs> I, I'm I'm old enough, um, got to uh, to have read Heinlein <laughs> before all of the modern day stuff yes. was written. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. Um, next name drop. There's uh, there's a book called Interviewing Users by okay. Steve Portugal that really gives you a good overview of of how to execute the conversations and the research with people directly that allows you to populate an empathy map canvas. Okay. So that's, that's literally books worth of conversation around how to do that. So I'm going to cleverly sidestep all of that during our talk today. Yes. And, and point you at Steve, who's, you know, an actual expert at doing that stuff and comes out of the, the UX world or was there before UX was the title assigned to the world. Right? Okay. He's been doing this stuff for 30 years. Okay. So how do they pick which customers? Because we're going to walk through a sort of an example and, and I'll, I'll just sort of set it up a little bit. Um, I mentioned that I have to travel on Sunday morning. I have to, my first flight's at like 6 a.m. I know that when I get to Dallas, I'm going to need coffee really bad. I know I'm going to be in a terminal which has the worst Starbucks in the entire Dallas airport. But I may not be somebody who matters to Starbucks. Like how would they decide which customers they're going to worry about? Because they have lots of customers, right. lots of types of customers. Right. Um as a consultant, I'm contractually obligated to answer at least one question with the phrase, it depends. <laughs> All right. And, and in this case, it depends. Okay. Uh, so fundamentally, whoever, Starbucks in your example, has a strategy. Yeah. And that strategy is not going to be uh, sell all of our products to every person on the planet. Right. Right. They have some point of view where they say, these are the markets we want to play in and the markets we don't want to play in. And within those markets, they're going to say – there are some people who we believe will be good customers and some people who will not. And so breaking up a, a market into markets, you know, or breaking up a market segment into groups of personas, into groups of people, uh, personas is a really handy tool for that. The way I talk about it is markets or market segments are groups of people who share the same problem. Okay. Who need, need coffee. But personas and this is an oversimplification, but it, it helps me think about it, are people who share the same problems and value solving them similarly. Okay. And so if, if I were thinking in a travel context, uh, there's w one approach to understanding people that move through airports is, is to break them down. You can, there's, there's sort of four archetypes that represent good persona groups in a traveling space. Okay. Uh, so you have like your business travelers, right? People who are just moving through. I'm traveling for work. I'm on my own. That's yep. sort of my MO. Then you've got leisure travelers. So, you know, a couple of people in their twenties are going on vacation or whatever. My, my wife and I just went on a vacation a couple of weeks ago. So we were leisure travelers in that context. Okay. Uh, another group is families traveling together. Yeah. Right. So parents with their kid, they're, they're going to approach getting caffeinated uh, a little bit differently than a leisure travelers or a business traveler. Yeah. And, and then there, and then there's a fourth group that's important, at least in the aviation and commercial aviation space of um, people with special needs. Uh, so okay. you have uh, umners, unaccompanied minors. Uh, you have people who may be traveling with medical equipment or people who have limited mobility. Sure. Um, right. So you can, you can, you can think about those four different archetypes uh, as persona groups who are going to have different problems, right? I mean, they, they, at some level of abstraction, that's kind of useless. They have the same problems, but when you, when you dive down into it with enough understanding to really approach solving the problems, those different groups of people have different problems or they value solving them differently. Okay. And so Starbucks could say, how would we design an experience that's optimized for people traveling alone? Or people traveling together, um, right? They they could. 
Sorry. I'm thinking like, there's, yes, well, what we do is make them stand in line for a half an hour behind 15 people that are going to order like caramel whip frappados or whatever ridiculously expensive $7 drink that takes forever to make because somebody right. like me, I'm, I'm totally happy to do that. I can't think of a better way to spend my time. Sarcasm. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if you if you could walk up, <laughs> Just, swipe your card, get a cup, move down the line, press three pumps into the hot coffee dispenser yeah. that somebody else is refilling offline, and you're in and out in a minute, right? If you're a business traveler, that might make a heck of a lot of sense. That'd be because huge. Yeah. As as a business traveler, you've probably optimized your trip so that you can simultaneously leave as late as possible, and get to the meeting on time, which means you've probably planned a tight connection and not a three-hour layover as you fly through the Dallas Well, airport. yeah, or or your whole, I mean, that I, I actually plan longer, but I, I plan extra time because I don't want to deal with the stress. But any deviation from my system for me is like a <laughs> total breakdown of everything. Right. Well, you know, and well, and stress is fantastic. So uh, I, I happen to have done research of, of travelers in the, in the airline space before. Okay. And uh, stress was the common factor. How, how you remove stress from the trip is different for each of those different groups because yes. they stress about different things, Yep. which makes it difficult from a, as, from a product point of view. But but stress is the underlying theme. If you can address the stress, you're creating a better product. And then the, the sort of the key insight is the same solution doesn't address the stress for all of those different groups of people. Okay. That's where the Empathy Map Canvas comes in handy because it gives you the ability to articulate a different set of stressors for the different groups of people. Okay. And, and then – Falling back on my, it depends for whom do you do it. Um, your strategy is going to say because you're always faced with choices. Yeah, this group of people are more important to advancing our strategy than this other group of people. So we will prioritize solving the first group's problems ahead of the second group's, or even at the expense of the second group's when you have to. So I can I want to try to offer up two things. So if you think about the leisure traveler and and me, I'm somebody who when they're traveling, Starbucks is my McDonald's. It's my tether back to sanity, and I will go several times a day. Um, it is more of like a maintenance thing for me. Somebody who's traveling for leisure, it's like a celebration. It's a special occasion, right? Maybe they don't go get the seven dollar drink all the time, but now they're on their trip. They want to live it up, right? Right. And and like Starbucks, I don't think you can get a box of cereal and you probably don't have a coloring book available if you wanted to sit at one of the tables in there. Right. Right. So so Starbucks is making design choices to optimize for for you as an individual traveler, whether you're, whether it's, it's leisure or business at the expense of design choices that would uh, be more likely to reduce stress for a family traveling together with small kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they may not mind making me wait in line because they know I'm going to keep coming. Whereas there's a lot of people, maybe this is, I mean, it seems like I'm always buying the people that have never been to a Starbucks before. And <laughs> that's why it takes 15 minutes to order anything, but that's a chance to, to draw them in. I mean, if I'm Starbucks, this is my, I'm going to get them right now. Turn them into, yeah, into loyal right. customers and right now. What's, what's really insidious is that might be a calculated move. Yeah. Right? When, when you're walking through an airport terminal and you're exposed to two different, two different shops that you've never heard of before and one of them has a line and one of them's deserted, which one do you think has the better coffee? Well, you would assume the one with the line. Yep. Yep. So if you've got time to make your connection, what are you going to do? You're going to throw yeah. the dice? And get the crappy gonna... coffee? Yeah. Well, plus I'm, I'm – even though they – I mean I'm not going to go away. I'm going to – Deal with it and keep going to Starbucks anyway. I'm not going to be so irritated. I'm going to stop being a customer. Right. And so, you know, if, if you if we tie that back to the empathy canvas, uh, what what we might say is that you see uh, standing in line for 30 minutes as a minor annoyance that is more than justified based on the gain of that tie back to normalcy. I I don't know if I'd go more than justified, but yes. <laughs> Has, I find it horribly slept? irritating. But what I was trying to get to was I don't think they're, they may not see me as somebody that to worry about in that situation. Yes, I'm pissed off. Yes, I'm irritated. It's it's stressing me out. But 
it's not a big enough deal that I'm going to walk away entirely. So they right. don't have an increased risk. So maybe this is something they say, well, you know what? Let's We'll let them twist for a while because we have a chance. Plus, I'm only going to get a drink that costs $3.50. This other person's going to buy a $7 drink. Maybe they can rope them in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so they're doing the math on yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So so when we're in if we're if we're going around the circle, we start with the one who are we empathizing with. So that's just whatever we know, whatever data we have about this traveler. Uh, y- yes. And and it and it's also a filtering thing. So you are saying we're we're working on Dave, not the families. Okay. Right. Our focus isn't making a great experience for somebody who's got you know, two parents with three kids and two car seats and all of their carry-on luggage, that's not our target market. So we're not going to worry about the uh, the density of tables in our floor space, for example. Sure, sure. So if it's just an individual shopping, the role question isn't so significant. But if it was like a family and you were designing something for the kid or you said, you know, if it was somebody who had um, a disability of some kind, um, the role then becomes more important? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and remember, we're 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 driving against a a simultaneously against a couple different factors that affect our ability to put a good product in market. One of them is understanding whether or not a particular solution is likely to work. Okay. And the other one is keeping the team focused so that we're all advancing towards the same goal. So. If half of your team, let's let's say that the team's doing the spatial layout and furniture design, we're focusing on families because they see families moving through airports all the time. Yeah. And the people designing the staffing model for how many baristas you need are focusing on business travelers with 45-minute connections and a 15-minute walk and 25 minutes to board. Uh, they're going to design – incongruous pieces of the solution that doesn't work for anybody because you're going to, you're going to get in a situation where you can very quickly get your coffee and then there's lots of wasted space or you can accelerate getting coffee for people who don't care about the time savings. Okay. Right. And And so you don't optimize for either group. Sort of like the people that laid out the downstairs in O'Hare airport where you, where you have to leave and there's all that space, but no chairs. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's been a while since I've been in either, either it's been a while since I've been in the downstairs or I've never been in the upstairs. Okay. Well, wait, the, uh, the down by baggage claim in O'Hare, when you go out there, there's just all this space and there's always tons of people standing around, but there's no place to sit. Oh God. I, you know what? I don't think I've ever left. I think I've only ever flown through O'Hare. Okay. Well, so it is, it's just it. a weird, I guess that there's, there may be a problem. We're trying to prevent them solving the wrong problem basically. Yeah, yes. Okay. Right. And, and and making sure that everyone through through the team, through the value stream, if you want to think about it that way, is focusing on solving the same problem so that when you pull all those pieces together, they're all lined up, that everybody everybody's working towards the same common objective. Yeah. I think that's that's something that I think is really important that I try to spend time on in class with, whether you're talking about a vision statement or something like this, is getting clarity on the thing is important, but making sure everybody's in the same place is is as important yeah 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 right this is this is a good example of progressive elaboration so you you do the vision statement hey we're going to do coffee shops in airports for people making their connections yeah right that's that's vision and that provides context to everyone right? right everybody on the team becomes aware of it but it's not sufficiently deep context to effectively inform all of the decisions yeah and so the empathy map is which group of the possible universe of all people traveling are we trying to focus on? Okay. So so when we're, we're still in the goal section, between these two boxes, we're going to come up with a goal, right? That's not something you're going to create separately. Like the goal is uh, informed right. by these two sides at the top. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, and, you know, if, 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 we, if we take a vamp on some of Clayton Christensen's work, right, the goal might be to caffeinate. The goal might be to kill time between the connection. Or just to get that sense of comfort. I mean, for me, it's like I may not even want coffee. I have to go anyway because it's my routine and it's what I do and it's how I soothe myself while I'm in the airport. Okay, right. Your goal could be to make connections with other people as you, you know, as you travel across the country. It's 
the the air of excitement and wonder associated with being in different populations of people and outside of your your normal culture right right that might be an invigorating thing where you drop in there and you meet people from all over the world and you talk to them and how awesome is that right that might be your goal right or avoid them at all costs <laughs> also might be your goal so like to me that's one of the things that i think is so cool with with stuff like the automatic check-in at the hotel or the mobile ordering at the Starbucks I can go to because I can actually get places now without interacting with any humans. And that to me is like a giant win because I never leave my bubble. Yep. So, so okay. So, you know, what do people want to do differently? Um, what jobs are they trying to, to get done? Exactly. Right. And, and you know, that your point about doing it on your own, that's, that's another joke in the travel space that when it comes to flying, people yeah. – want to be left alone. But yeah. when it comes to hotels, people want high-touch service. It, ah, it's a broad okay. overgeneralization, but it's interesting that by understanding who your group is and then the context of the problem, you might take different approaches to solving it, right? So this let me do everything without talking to a human being thing might be great when you're connecting through an airline terminal, and yeah. it might be the worst thing in the world to do for somebody when they're checking into a hotel and they want to make sure they have a dorm fridge and that they get a wake-up call and that they can get their dry cleaning done and yeah. where's the nearest restaurant and all that other stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so between those two boxes at the top and, and figuring out what decisions they're making, um, and there's got to be some way of telling if they're successful. So there has to be some kind of metric, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So this... Um, Next next name drop is, is uh, Goiko Adzik wrote a book called Impact Mapping that is mind-bendingly powerful and uh, subtly difficult. It looks so straightforward. It's so hard to use, it turns okay. out. Um, and the focus there, one of the key takeaways from, from that book and that practice is that when you're – it's – it's an insight that comes from having humility about how you build your products. Okay. Right? You aren't building a product to solve a problem. You have a customer who's trying to solve a problem and you are building a product that you hope they will use as a means to make it easier to solve their own problem. Okay. And so when you think about what somebody's trying to do, they they've got some problem they're trying to solve and they would define success in the context of what it means to them to solve their problem. Okay. It has nothing to do with your product. It's it's them in their space. This is how I define success at my coffee purchasing experience. Yeah. Meeting people, avoiding people, having a touch point, whatever. Whatever. Okay. And so that that's, seems like a great way to step into the, the other boxes because we're talking about what they see, what they say, what they do, what they hear. So we're really having to put ourselves, try, try to imagine ourselves inside their head, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good way to think about it. And like when when I think about uh, what do they see and what do they say, uh, they sort of go together. What do they see is it's situational awareness, right? Okay. We we are observing the environment that they are in, and then what do they say to me is almost like a litmus test because that is giving us a data point about how they interpret what they see. Because when we look at the same thing that they do, we aren't necessarily seeing the same thing they do. So when you say, what do they say, is that if I'm the customer in the Starbucks, that's not just me placing my order. That's what I would say about the environment. Say, oh my God, 25 minutes and I'm still not at the front of the line. Yeah. Or I just waited half an hour. Now I have to wait another 20 minutes to get the drink. I already ordered it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. So if they were there with someone. That the line is a problem. Okay. Okay. Or so that could just as easily be the voice inside their head, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the pains and the gains, right? When, when we get to the voice inside of their head, we are we are going to do some inference based on hearing what they say. Wow, that line took forever. Or this was great. I stood stood next to the most fascinating person, and then all of a sudden I had coffee. I didn't even notice the time flying by. Right. So with, through interviews, through observation, whatever, we, we are we are capturing the what do they say information, okay. which gives us insight oh, okay. on the interpret I'm, what right. they see. I misunderstood. So I'm glad that I'm asking this question. When you say what do they say, I wasn't thinking of myself as interviewing the customer. I was thinking of what do they say and like I'm in the line. I say I want this drink. I tell the, the name of the drink or I'm expressing some exasperation to, to somebody standing next to me. 
I'm one of those weird people on the line that talks to whoever's around them. Um, but you're right. talking about actually, if you were to walk up and say, okay, what's going on right now? What are you doing? Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what do you do is sort well, of the next step. I'm on. sorry, go ahead. I want to ask more questions. So there's a disconnect here between see and say, because if it's see, it's what am I seeing when I'm standing in the line? If it's what do I say, it's if you came up and said, hey, what's up? What would I say then? Like you interviewing me about that experience as opposed to what am I directly experiencing? Right, right. So this okay. is this is how we avoid assuming that the people we're trying to build products for yeah. are exactly like us. Okay. So let's say I'm doing the research and I'm sitting at one of these tables and you know I just spend the day in the A terminal at Dallas Airport. And I see the line and I measure it and I'm like, well, it's you know, it's 30 minutes long at least from yeah. 7 a.m. till 10 a.m. and then it's 15 minutes long, whatever. And and so I see I see or I, I can assess in box three that what all of those people are seeing is a long line. And okay. boy, that must that must be miserable. Okay. okay. But that's because I'm projecting into yeah. those people's heads because I would personally find that miserable. Not the line itself, but the fact that you you judged it as miserable. Right. I'm imagining myself standing in that line and being miserable, okay. maybe because I was watching the line for five hours. And so it was actually 10 times worse for me. And that's why you need to check it with what do they say? Exactly. Because okay. then I discovered, no, this is great. I just met these people from Australia and I've never <laughs> been to Australia. And, you know, and the whatever. line was only 20 minutes long as opposed to two hours long. Right. Okay. All and right. my daughter's single and have, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so to, to me, those are sort of coupled that make sure that we are, it gives us a way to sort of validate our interpretation because okay. we make assumptions based on what we see as the environment they're in. And so we, we find out whether or not whoever our target group of customers is sees that same stuff in the same way. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm ready to move on to do now. I <laughs> okay. apologize for the tangent. I just wanted to make sure I had that sort of in my head. No, 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 it's all good. Um, and so what do they do is, is, uh, I, I think most of the time it's just sort of validating insights into how they solve the problems that you, you go up, you place your order, you give them your name, you get your cup. Um, but it you know, says, it says here, what do I do today? So that there's more to it than that, right? Because it's not just this moment, it's the rest of my day. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, so that's just the interpretation. Like in the in the current state of the world, what is it that I'm doing in oh. the scenario of the scenario of relevant scope for the problem we're focusing on trying to help them solve? Okay, sorry. Today right. versus future, not today. Got it. Bigger like context. Now, today. Okay, got it. All right. So this is the actual action. They're walking up. They're waiting in line. They're ordering the drink. Right. And then they're standing by the by the napkins, making a huffy face while they wait for the drink. Right, and so that that gives us the ability to do some brainstorming. Um, we could talk about the double design process, or we can just put another shiny coin on the table. <laughs> shiny coin. Shiny coin. Okay, so I don't even know what that is. I don't even know that well enough to ask you any questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So there's 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 a framing in the design world that uh, combines divergent and convergent thinking processes as a way to come up with good solutions. Okay. And so in the divergent space, you sort of open it up and say, what are all the problems we might solve? And then you pick one and then you say, what are all the ways we might solve it? Okay. Right. And so you, you sort of open and close, you, you brainstorm ideas and then you pick from among them. Okay. You brainstorm ideas and you pick from among them. So that's the double diamond. And so in, in this case, you know, we, we observe what they're doing today and then we imagine different things that they could be doing tomorrow that would somehow be better. Okay. Right. And so this is a little bit of jumping down and this is where it sort of gets a little bit weird for me personally, as a product guy, it starts to jump down into solution ideas. Yeah. Uh, but you're not really solving prematurely. You're coming up with solution ideas because that's a mechanism to explore different ways of valuing solving the problems. So it's right? like that, a lot of what ifing. It's, it's, it's a lot of what ifing. Um, you know, what if they could just 
stand on a conveyor belt and tilt their head back and a spigot would pour coffee into their mouth well, as they passed through an assembly line. Or, would that be more effective? What if they could order their their drink from their phone before they got to the store and just have it ready for them when they got there? They could just pick it up and walk out. Yeah, or why even make them go to the store? You just place the order from your plane before you get off while you're taxiing and your coffee is served to you on the next plane when you get on it. Oh, that'd be nice. Or waiting for you. At waiting for you when you get off out of the gate. That would be really nice. Right. Be like duty free in reverse. Okay. Right. So um, you can so you can imagine a lot of creative approaches to solving the problem, and what's useful about them at this stage for me is not the particular solutions you've invented. Right. But what characterizes them. So right. what do you so, mean by that? Uh, so I'm characterizing the solution of the coffee's waiting for me as I get off the plane because I've placed the order. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the benefit there is I don't have to know where I am in the airport. Right. I don't have to take any time to get there. I don't have to wait in line. I can just grab it and go. Right. So yeah. that's that's going to optimize for people that the stressor is associated with getting to or worrying about time to make their connection. Okay. Okay. But somebody who wants to meet people and hang out, you're not actually helping them, right? right. So, uh, what I'm ex- what I'm exposing is what is it about this particular future that I've imagined that is different? Okay. So, this could potentially lead to experiment experiment maps or experimenting. If we've got a bunch of what ifs, we're going to have to figure out which ones are actually worth testing out. Uh, yes, yes. The, like so, the the way this was designed um, by the game storming folks uh, was that like this would, well, or at least with the revised version, that, that this could feed into something like the value proposition canvas. Okay. Where the the another shiny coin. Um, there's there's sort of two sides to it. Tables covered with gold. Excellent. Go excellent. <laughs> One side focuses on the jobs customers are trying to do and their yeah. pains and gains. Okay. Right. So it's it's a customer centric view. And then the other side is like, how are you designing your business? So what are your pain relievers? What are your gain creators? What are the products and services that those get wrapped up into? Okay. And so how do you match the things your market needs with the things your company provides? Okay. Right? So like that's a good next step from this, which is getting into a getting a handle on the things your market needs for a subset of the market that is very focused. Okay. Your group of personas. Okay. Um, can we move on to six? Sure. Okay. Um, six is probably the one that is least appealing or useful to me because I'm an engineer. Okay. <laughs> but it's probably really That was kind of loaded. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, right, so talking about what are, what are people hearing? Um, what are they hearing from their friends? That, that sort of um, what influences how they feel about their problems or their different solutions. Okay. Right? That's, that's like the marketing side of things. That's why I'm product manager, not product marketer. Got it. Right. There's, that's super valuable there. Um, there, is, there is a piece of it that still appeals to me, which um, when, when you think about how markets evolve – they they're affected by adjacent spaces. Uh, an example an example I like to use to talk about this. If if you think about the radio controls in your car are uh, built with a touchscreen interface in a lot of cars these days. Yeah. But they didn't used to be. And the touchscreen interfaces started showing up in cars after they started becoming ubiquitous in smartphones. Okay. Because the people who drive cars are the people who use smartphones. And so what they were hearing was, the, you know, hearing or being influenced from adjacent market spaces was this, this is the way to do things, right? This is the interaction model is moved. The future is touchscreen. Okay. And so then in the auto space, you're like, Hey, these are the same people, right? They're not trying to solve the same yeah. problem in a phone or connecting the internet or whatever, but they are starting to, uh, associate interacting with technology as interacting with a touchscreen. So let's change how we do this, right? You know, they listen to music on their phone. Let's make it the same in the car, right? And so there is this sort of, this is a good angle for what is it that's part of the broader context that this user group lives in that could be influencing this narrow context we're focusing on. So does so it, does like it extend user- beyond sound then? 
Uh, or could it I don't extend know beyond if, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but that's sort of how I treat it. So in the same way that, you know, you talked about the touchscreen, like I've seen my wife do this tons of times. She puts her finger on the laptop screen and starts trying to swipe stuff. <laughs> it's hysterical to watch. But um, that I see people do that all the time. Kids do that all the time. Um, that's the metaphor that they're used to. So they expect it in more places. Right. But I, I initially I was thinking that this box was like what 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 are the signals being broadcast at me? What do my friends tell me? Like, oh, you should do this. You should buy this thing because it's going to make you better. And the commercials say, oh, well, you should do this because it'll make you a better person. And somebody else is telling me this other thing. And all that signal is is penetrating somehow. And, and it, I don't know what, to what extent it's going to affect me, but those are, are things I'm hearing. But this, you're saying it's beyond just sound. It's it's be, it's beyond just sound for me. Although okay. the, the the grain of salt is, I might be using it wrong. Like I I think, I think it's the same intent and perspective. Okay. So in the same way that if I'm going to go to the movies, one friend of mine might have an opinion. I'm going to look up in the news and see a review of it. That would also be what do I hear? Correct. Uh, At least I from- don't. Yeah, maybe I. You know what? Honestly, I don't know. Okay. Like that's this. This is my weakest spot. Um, All right, well, we'll just move on. Let's okay, move on. let's go inside the brains. Sure. So, um, the reason we go inside the brain, uh, inside the head, and to try and try and project into somebody's point of view is so that we can draw some conclusions about what we've observed. Okay. And it's almost counterintuitive if you if you go back to why we do the empathy map in the first place. Um, and or even why we do the proto personas before we do the empathy map in the first place, uh, is we're tr- we're trying to, among other things, avoid a couple anti patterns. One of those anti patterns is um, being inconsistent in terms of who you design for. Half of the team is designing for families. Half the team is designing for people traveling alone. Sure. Right. So we talked about that already. Yep. The other and and this helps massively with that. The other anti pattern. This is where it's a little counterintuitive. Is there's an anti-pattern of people building solutions for themselves, right? They project into their heads yeah. of, and say, well, this is what I see, and it's obviously a problem because I perceive it to be yeah. a problem. Therefore, <laughs> it needs to be solved, right? And that's where the see and say thing sort of pair up for me as a way to try and break out of that. Well, and we had it on this call because you started talking about the Starbucks like, oh, you want social interaction. I'm like, hell no. I want the opposite of that. I want give me my drink, leave me the hell alone. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so in step seven, filling inside the head, the pains and gains fields is around us saying, okay, what is inside that person's head? Okay. And we've got the data around it. The observable stuff on the outside is our only defense against filling in the center of the diagram with what's in our own heads. Okay. So they're kind of like a, prepping your mind for those questions in the center. We're trying to make sure that we don't fill it out like an autobiography. Okay. Okay. So if it is somebody who is traveling, like if it's my pains are going to be delays, interaction, interruption of routine, my gains are going to be the satisfaction of getting this this thing that is my soothing token. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. E- exactly right. Um, and uh, the, and then, the pains for some family might be, I'm getting stuff for me, and my kids aren't getting anything. Okay. And well, they realize that I'm at the store and I'm buying them nothing, and now they're upset. Okay, but that and and at the same time, the kids might be upset, but they could be rotten kids, and I could be celebrating something for myself. Could be a yeah, pampering yeah. moment. Sure, it could be. Like, like um, th- I'm thinking of you know this section at the bottom says what other thoughts, feelings. Like if I'm if I'm there ordering a seven dollar drink full of like all kinds of fat products and whipped cream and stuff, that might be I deserve this. I have worked hard. I'm on vacation. I have earned this. And my kids can sit over there and have French fries. <laughs> if they want. yeah, I, I I want to treat myself with a drink and yeah. I'm driving later, so there's no alcohol. Let right. me let me get a frothy whatchamajiggy. So it's sort of a subtext rolling around inside their head. Yeah. Okay. Right. And it's, it's, and, um, you know, like 
when I think about products generally, I think they sort of fall into one of two buckets. Uh, and I'm either trying to make something awesome or I'm trying to make something suck less. Okay. And so this pains versus gains, it would be, Hey, here's, here's some problem, whether it's a dramatic problem or an annoyance that I'm trying to address or reduce. Okay. And, and those things are going to tease out on the pains side. Yeah. Or here's an opportunity to make something amazing that isn't amazing, but isn't necessarily a problem. Got it. And those are the things I would pull out in the gain side. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of clarity to understanding which of those it is that characterizes the problem space that you're in. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's usually a mixture of both. Okay. I think, I think you end up with a muddled product when you, when you think it's both that okay. you should sort of pick one or the other. All right. Um, so I kind of have two more questions about this. Um, and I really appreciate you walking through the whole thing. It's, it's helped a lot. How often do I revise these? That's the short, that's the simple short question. The other one's probably longer. Okay. Is this like um, a, I do it once and I'm done with it or? It, it's not. The, okay. the, the simple short answer is you revise them whenever you need to. Okay. Uh, but, le, but let me unpack that because when you need to is um, whenever, if you're, so your, 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 your customers are a moving target. Right. And you're going to put a product in market that is solving the problem based on your understanding of how effectively you solve that problem. And let's say, you know, you get it right. Then over time, your customers, their point of view about the product evolves. problems changes. Yeah. yeah. It evolves. Evolves is a good word. Um, then you got to do it again. And so then the question becomes, if your product doesn't evolve to keep up, you'll lose them. Does that cause a problem? Well, no, you, you might not. Right. That's that's a valid question to say, you know, if, if, think about the And, and so if them. McDonald's doesn't offer healthier foods to their customers, will they lose their customers? Right. That's a good question. Or, um, you or know, an, just, an iron, an ironing board. Right? Yeah. That that design is, I don't know, 50 years or more. Yeah. Um, it's it's electric and it's steam. Um, before that, you heated it on uh, in the fire. Yeah. Right. And, um, so you can ask the question is, am I reliant on being in tune with how my customers have changed in order to continue to successfully sell irons? Yeah. Probably not that much, right? It's probably not that big a deal. You don't need yeah. a smart iron that keeps track of how many, um, deciliters of water you use per week when ironing or how efficient you are. And, you know, you don't need to hook it up to the internet and adapt right. to change. You don't need a touch screen on your iron. So if you don't update your empathy map canvas for your target users for your iron, that's probably not a really risky proposition. You're sure. probably not endangering your business. But for a car, it would be. But for a car, it could be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, for, a communication device of some sort. It could be. Okay. Right. And so it's when your business is at risk because your understanding of your customers has grown stale in such a way that your products no longer are relevant to them. Right. That's when you need to update it. Okay. Thank you. So when it's done, what do I do with it? Um, so you, you, you use it to provide deep context okay. uh, and different people within your organization are going to use it in different ways. Okay. The, the people who are designing and implementing solutions when they make implementation choices and design choices, those choices about how best to solve the problems we've picked yeah. are going to be informed by this. Okay. So it's the uh, knowledge that it it's, – it's sort of a storage place for knowledge or a snapshot of your knowledge at a given moment. Uh, right. Or, or it's a continuous – it is your current understanding. Okay. Cool. Right. So that's – and that way you can update it as you go. Uh, another group of people are going to use it to say which problems are important to solve. Uh, they're, they're not driving that as much from the Empathy Map Canvas, but it is a data point. It informs them. For, to inform them and help validate the choices. Yeah. Okay. And, and then 
you pop up another level when you think about uh, sort of a strategic prioritization point of view. Your your company has some strategy that's led to some business design decisions and a product strategy, which says focus on a particular group of customers. And okay. within that context, focus on a particular set of problems. And the empathy map helps you understand uh, develop and represent deep insights about subsets of your potential customer group, one per canvas, in the context of solving how they go about solving a particular problem. And so you could have multiple canvases. Okay. And so you can you can use those tools as part of informing your prioritization process and your business strategy design because you can look at a canvas and say, we have a good understanding of this problem for these people, yeah. and we do not have the people in house who can effectively solve it. We don't know how to. We don't okay. know how to how to contribute to solving this problem. Sure, valuable though it may be, right? And the canvas gives you some insight of, yep, this is how they feel the pain, and we have no idea, right? Nobody's come up with a clever way for how we can help with yeah. that. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really important thing. So, so different groups. Um, can lean on this to inform different kinds of decisions. Okay, cool. Um, thank you for, for, for taking the time to do this. If, if people have questions and they want to follow up with you on this, um, what is the, uh, the best way for them to reach you? Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest and fastest way. Okay. Uh, you know, just tag me. Selhorst is, uh, is my Twitter handle. Just, you know, tag me in public and uh, we'll respond and we'll go from there. Okay, so I'm going to include a link to that. I'll also include uh, your leading agile page and LinkedIn, um, and your blog as well. I'll make sure that we oh. put that in there so folks can track you down in multiple awesome. locations. And also make sure that you check the spelling of Scott's name because it may not be spelled like it sounds inside your head. Um, <laughs> so cool, dude! Thank you very much for taking uh, the time this afternoon. I really am dude, grateful my, for you. For my this. pleasure, Dave. Like I said, uh, I eat this stuff up. Cool. Thanks. Uh,